a roundup of the main business news from China and elsewhere. This is Global Business. Hello and welcome to this edition of Global Business on CGTN. I'm Guan Xin in Beijing. The headlines we're tracking at this hour. Promising prospects. Physical expenditure in China grew by 5.4% in 2023, with government pledging continued support for the economy this year. Rate moves. The U.S. Federal Reserve left the key interest rates unchanged on Wednesday, signaling a major step towards potentially lowering them in the coming months in a policy statement. Riding high in our new series, Surfing the E-Commerce Way, today we take a deep dive into the evolution of cross-border settlement mechanisms that have supported this growth. We begin by looking at China's manufacturing sector, which expanded for a third consecutive month in January 2024, marking the longest period of expansion since May 2021. The Tanxin Purchasing Managers Index for China's manufacturing sector remained flat at 50.8 in January. A reading above 50 indicates expansion, while below 50 signals contraction. Meanwhile, market sentiment continued to improve as manufacturing output grew for the fifth time in the past six months, while new orders remained in expansionary territory for six consecutive months. Taishin analysts said both supply and demand are expanding with supply outpacing demand. And China will continue to maintain a necessary scale of government spending in 2024, the finance ministry said in a press brief on Thursday. The finance ministry said government spending grew 5.4% in 2023 to 27 trillion yuan, hitting a record high. And for more, let's hear from our correspondent Zheng Chunying. One of the key messages that benefiting from the economic rebound and the introduction of uh, the large-scale value-added tax reforms in 2022, China's fiscal revenue witnessed an uh, increase in 2023. The national general public budget revenue exceeded 21 trillion yuan last year, and that is an increase of over 6.4% year-on-year. And when it comes to a local perspective, income generated in the uh, Eastern, Central, Western, and Northeastern regions, they all increased by 6.7%, uh, 6.8%, 10.7%, and 12% respectively. And all uh, 31 provinces recorded positive fiscal revenue growth. And also this year, China's finance ministry said it would continue to look for more ways to bolster domestic demand and help the world's second largest economy regain its momentum. Uh, so the ministry said that the country's budget deficit would be maintained at quote unquote a certain level in 2024 and added that the authorities would continue to set what it put as an appropriate quota for new special local government bonds. And that is a key source of infrastructure investment. And that way, overall government spending would increase and the finance ministry says uh, that would play a better role uh, stimulating domestic demand. And officials also said during the conference, uh, the presser, that the central government would continue transferring funds to help uh, those local authorities to meet their basic spending needs with poor areas receiving preference. The finance ministry said officials would introduce uh, tax cuts to support technological innovation, agriculture and manufacturing development in rural areas um, particularly. You know, China's trading services hit a record high in 2023 with travel services taking the lead in growth rate. Fresh data from the Commerce Ministry shows that a year-around transaction value for trading services in 2023 
amounted to about 6.6 trillion yuan, or roughly 930 billion U.S. dollars. That was a 10% increase over 2022. Breaking down the numbers, China's exports of services dropped by about 6% to 2.7 trillion yuan, while imports surged 24% to 3.9 trillion yuan. Data shows that trade in travel services grew by staggering 74%, the fastest among all categories. In the meantime, trade in knowledge-intensive services grew 8.5%, a relatively high rate. And now we're zooming on uh, recreational activities at the Spring Festival approaches. The Chinese Academy of Social Sciences released the Green Book of China's Tourism on Wednesday, which features analysis of the 2023 to 2024 tourism development in China. According to the Green Book, the number of domestic trips is estimated to reach 5.4 billion in 2023, and 90% of that of 2020, uh, 2019. And tourism revenue is estimated to hit 5.2 trillion in 2023 and 91 percent of 2019. Average household expenditure was about 5,000 yuan. Meanwhile, a survey included in the report reveals 45.3 percent of respondents are willing to increase travel expenditure in 2024. In addition to travel, the 2024 Spring Festival box office is expected to exceed 100 million yuan, around 40 million dollars. And now for more insights on China's recreational economy and the upcoming holiday consumption, let's bring in Jimmy Zhu, Chief Strategist of Fullerton Research. Thank you for joining us, Mr. Zhu. So in light of the impressive success of cities such as Zibo last year and Haobing earlier this year in establishing themselves as popular tourism destinations, how can other cities draw lessons from their experiences to attract visitors? There's one very important factor um, for these two cities. Uh, the successful story is the di digital marketing. So both of the cities uh, well use the digital marketing to um, provide with its own cultures to the uh, to the to the entire world. So lots of young people are very able to. Um, reach that. Um, for other cities to develop the more successful story from there, I think um, the first is also can develop more innovations, um, like uh, how to create more uh, innovative technologies like uh, mobile app uh, apps, and also can um, help to build more infrastructures to make the place, the, the transportations more convenient, mm -hmm. and also use more hotels to cover that. So the different cities in China has uh, lots of different cultures. So I think uh, based on the technology, digital marketing, uh, we think there probably will be more uh, similar cities to be successful in the futures. How do you expect the uh, box office performance of Spring Festival films and their potential compared to the uh, record set in 2021? Yeah, we think probably the record might be able to break for this time because uh, we see that uh, um, about eight to nine movies for this time is very diversified to the different ages uh, people of the people and the different background of the people. And it's very good to see that, that um, there's a lot of uh, popular persons, um, the powerful figures, actually, is a lot of uh, popular stars also appear in this uh, Chinese New Year um, show. So um, we think, yeah, probably there's a very good chance that uh, the 2021 record can be uh, can be broken for this time.
Well, thank you for your analysis. And Jimmy, please stay with us for more discussions later in the program. A China media group has held an event dubbed the Prelude to Spring Festival Gala in Nairobi. And Wednesday's event was an opportunity for the over 200 guests, including ambassadors and UN officials, to experience and appreciate Spring Festival, one of China's most important festivals. There have been similar preludes in New York and Geneva, giving overseas Chinese and international audiences a chance to immerse themselves in Chinese culture in festive atmosphere. And CMG president and editor-in-chief Sheng Haishong expressed China's willingness to work with their African counterparts at the Nairobi event. A Chinese New Year begins on February the 10th and 2024 is the Year of the Dragon. The Chinese people embarking on a new journey will celebrate the 75th anniversary of the founding of the People's Republic of China in the Year of Dragon. China Media Group will contribute greater efforts to promoting cultural and people-to-people -people exchanges among nations and advancing and building of a community with a shared future for mankind. This year is the first time in the United Nations history that the Lunar Year, New Year, is henceforth recognized as part of the UN holiday calendar. For today's celebration, my message on behalf of the United Nations family in Kenya is to say that may this lunar year of the dragon bring peace, joy, good health and prosperity to all. Thank you very much. Xin xin. This is conducive to promoting exchanges and mutual learning among different civilizations in the world. It also helps us to better feel the splendor, depth and richness of human civilization. We are very happy to celebrate the Spring Festival with the United Nations and the world. We hope that different civilizations can coexist in harmony and achieve mutual success. Officials and experts gathered in Beijing on Thursday to discuss the first evaluation of a new development bank-financed project in China, the Luoyang Metro Project. Officials from the Shanghai-based bank said the construction of the first subway line in the central Chinese city of Luoyang helps improve mobility and safety for the population and reduce emissions. The bank has offered a $300 million sovereign project loan to China to support the construction. Officials attending the event said the bank had also carried out evaluations of other projects in Brazil, India and South Africa and called for greater efforts to boost cooperation among BRICS countries. Beyond evaluations, I want to convey that IEO is working on strengthening its engagement in knowledge sharing across projects, across provinces and states, across countries and regions, as well as supporting China and other member countries and the Global South more broadly in building their own monitoring and evaluation capacities. We strongly welcome partnerships with like-minded institutions in knowledge sharing and evaluation capacity development. The U.S. Central Bank has confirmed it's ready to begin cutting its benchmark interest rate as inflation drops closer to its target range. The Federal Reserve held off, raising the rate it hiked dramatically to force prices down. And new data su suggests projections about damaging the economy through those aggressive rises have been upended. Owen Faircloth has more. Has the U.S. Central Bank, the Federal Reserve, finally won the inflation battle? It hasn't raised its benchmark interest rate since last July, after ramping it up to drive down prices that spiraled out of control in 2022. And now that inflation has been largely tamed, Fed Chair Jerome Powell is under pressure to cut that rate. The question is when. We believe that our policy rate is likely at its peak for this tightening cycle, and that 
If the economy evolves broadly as expected, it will likely be appropriate to begin dialing back policy restraint at some point this year. And how this post-pandemic inflation crisis has been solved is a puzzle. And it's one that even some experts are struggling to explain. Jerome Powell warned that that series of interest rate hikes designed to bring down inflation would be painful for businesses and consumers and might even trigger a recession. Instead, the opposite has happened. The US economy is outperforming every other advanced economy, wages are rising, and employers continue to expand their businesses by hiring more staff, even when the costs of doing so were elevated by those interest rate hikes. And it doesn't stop there. The projection for 2024 is also pretty good for the US. Even so, with that benchmark rate at around 5.5%, it's driven up the average 30-year mortgage so much, many prospective buyers have been priced out of the market. One argument for cutting rates. What we're trying to do is identify a place where we're really confident about inflation, get it going back to 2% so that we can then begin uh, the process of dialing back the restrictive level. And yet with the economy defying expectations, some economists think the Fed needs to consider the lag between hiking interest rates and their impact on the economy before taking action. Owen Fairclough, CGTN, Washington. Respondents to a CNBC Fed survey see fewer interest rate cuts than the market's aggressive outlook, with the central bank starting them later in the year than traders currently hope. Just 9% see the Federal Reserve cutting rates in March, and 50% expect a cut in May, and only in June is there a majority of 70% predicting that rates will go down. And futures markets, meanwhile, place a 37% probability on a March cut and around an 84% chance in May. And while futures markets have priced in between five and six rate reductions this year, survey respondents on average anticipate only three. The 25 respondents included economists, strategists, and fund managers. And now for more discussions on the U.S. Federal Reserve's decision and its impact, let's bring back Jimmy Drew, Chief Strategist at Fulton Research. Thank you for staying with us, Mr. Drew. So what is your analysis of the recent decision by the Fed and its impact on financial markets? Well, the Fed seems like not very happy about the current market expectations, but when we look at the inflation data, it's actually coming down in the past few months. So uh, I think the thing makes the power ex- uh, extremely not happy is the stock market price because um, the rate cut expectation has pushed the stock market price much higher compared with um, a few months ago. So I think um, power think if uh, the things is carry on, the stock market keep going higher and um, bond you uh, keep going lower, that is really something will make the Federal Reserve to um, maintain the 2% inch, uh, inflation goal very difficult. So having that said, I think uh, the Fed um, decisions on that part is actually putting a cap on the U.S. stock price for this year. And when do you anticipate the Fed will implement rate cuts and what are the primary factors being considered in this decision-making process? Uh, the Fed expressed the uh, geopolitical tension in the mid, in Middle East, um, its impact on the oil prices. I think that it's the uncertainty. But one thing I want to highlight is the, this year is the election year. Usually the Fed doesn't really want to move the rates much in the election year. Um, 2020 is a very different because it's the COVID. So apart from that, I think the Fed trying to uh, make the rate stable for this year. So I think probably the earliest rate cut for this year is about June. And probably another cut, if it happens, probably it will happen um, after the election, so the market might see some disappointment in the coming of few months. Mm. So how do you suggest that emerging markets should react to the current stance of the Fed? 
the the dollar is the key thing. The market this morning is still pretty calm on the Asia basis. That's because the dollar index is uh, is still pretty stable. I think uh, probably when the Fed, ECB, Bank of England, those kind of uh, um, developed central banks all start to cutting the interest rates, um, I think that's the very positive thing for the emerging markets. Probably uh, we will see the flows might be more inclined to move to the emerging markets, maybe from third quarter, uh, third quarter onwards based on the more central banks are willing to cut, but it just probably not happened in the first half. Thank you so much for your analysis. Appreciate your time. And that was Jimmy Drew, Chief Strategist at Fulton Research for us. China's cross-border e-commerce, characterized as a novel form and model of foreign trade, has experienced substantial growth in recent years. The Central Economic Work Conference has outlined plans to take further measures to enhance trade in this sector. And our global business has introduced a new series titled Surfing the E-Commerce Wave, which delves into a range of topics including supportive measures from local governments and the expansion of Chinese shopping sites in overseas markets. And the series aims to explore the fresh growth opportunities and challenges associated with cross-border e-commerce. Recent customs data reveals that China's foreign trade experienced consistent growth, expanding its partnerships with various trading nations throughout the past year. Notably, trade with the economies participating in Belt and Road Initiative constitutes 46.6% of China's total foreign trade. Additionally, trade with both the European Union and the United States accounted for more than 10% each. Our reporter Zhang Shixuan explores the evolution of cross-border settlement mechanisms that have supported this growth. An engineering machinery exporter in Shanghai. In 2023, our annual sales reached around 100 million yuan, or more than 10 million US dollars, 40% growth. A hardware exporter in Yiwu. We increase much more in African countries, some like Congo, Liberia, Kenya, Ghana, Morocco, or Algeria. The most popular selling in their market is our carting disc. And a textile product and shoemaker in Shanghai. In 2022, we made 65 million yuan of cross-border settlement, 65% of the total business. In 2023, it grew to 85 million yuan, 80% of the total business. So, they make different products and sell them to different parts of the world. But they have one in common. They all require an efficient and reliable method for cross-border settlement. That's why the cross-border settlement services sector in China is... Big enough. Fast-growing. We haven't seen the upper limit. The market has been breaking records all the time. In 2022, China's annual foreign trade volume exceeded the 40 trillion mark for the first time. Last year, the country's annual foreign trade volume neared 42 trillion yuan, or some 5.8 trillion US dollars. China is expected to remain the world's largest trading nation for the seventh consecutive year. That's laid the foundation for the growth in cross-border settlement services. Our international settlement volume have witnessed a fast growth during the past three years. Last year alone, we completed 200 billion US dollars worth of cross-border settlement. The earliest cross-border payment policy in China can be traced back to 2013, 10 years ago. The business has grown more than 10 times in the past five years. Part of that growth has come from the change in the foreign trade business. With the innovation of new trading businesses, a number of micro-small and medium-sized companies have been emerging. For traditional trading, there could be just up to several hundred settlements in a month or a week. But for cross-border e-commerce, 
There could be thousands of settlements within just a day. So in order to keep up with the increasing pace of trade, it's become a major task for banks and payment service providers to develop a safer online path. Our clients may just see a simple website. All the paperwork has been digitalized. We may use AI technologies like facial recognition and biological recognition to check the trade's authenticity. And we are also tracking the trade and capital with blockchain technology. With tech development and the improvement in the banking system, the settlement can now be done within a day. While previously, that could take three to five workdays. The payment service provider has served more than 300,000 Chinese exporters. There are now around 30 payment service providers here qualified for cross-border settlement. Even e-commerce platforms now offer the settlement service on their own. They serve as a bridge between the banks, government departments and the companies. The efficiency has improved multiple times. It's an unprecedented improvement. Regulators and financial institutions have been working hard to make things even simpler for the regular trustworthy traders. Traditionally, for cross-border trade, our banks need to check a series of documents, including the agreements, the invoice and the bill of lading. That required a huge workload. But now, we verify some clients' basic information. And if they are approved by the State Administration of Foreign Exchange and the People's Bank of China, they can be included on the whitelist, and they can complete cross-border settlement the second they initiate the payment. The Bank of Communications now supports 23 currencies exchange for spot settlement. Four were added to that list in just the past six months. All of this is aimed at helping trading companies make their payments more quickly and cheaply. And as trade grows, Renminbi has witnessed the steady growth in use for cross-border settlements. The Bank of Communications Shanghai branch now does around a quarter of its cross-border settlements for trading goods and services in Chinese yuan. We can see that Renminbi settlement with companies from countries along the Belt and Road Initiative, including Singapore and Indonesia have increased significantly. And in recent years, thanks to the rapid development of the Bond Connect, our cross-border Renminbi settlement has achieved great progress. Our cross-border Renminbi settlement hit 1 trillion yuan in 2022. Fresh data from the central bank showed Renminbi cross-border settlement of trading goods reached 10.69 trillion yuan last year. That was more than a quarter of the total foreign trade value of trading goods for the year. Zhang Shixuan, ICS for CGTN, Shanghai. Chinese digital service provider Pingpong has released a report on a 2023 cross-border market. The company provides low-cost cross-border payments and financial derivative services for Chinese cross-border sellers. According to the report, the U.S., Germany and the United Kingdom occupy the top three spots for importing goods from China in terms of transaction size. Notably, the transaction volume for Thailand within the platform rose by 216 percent, India by 203 percent and Mexico 144 percent compared with 2022, indicating the sector's booming development in emerging markets. In addition, Pingpong found the integration of traditional foreign trade in a business-to-business model and cross-border e-commerce is accelerating. And now for more discussions on cross-border payments and global trade, we're joined by Wang Ning, the co-founder of Pingpong, a fintech company focused on building payment infrastructure for high-growth cross-border businesses. Thank you for joining us, Mr. Wang. So as a co-founder of Pingpong, can you provide insights into the current cross-border payment trends and their impact on the global e-commerce scene? Uh, sure. Thank you for having me. As you know, fintech as a global trend has never stopped innovation as it brings efficiency to the cross-border transactions. 
And uh, one of the greatest enhancement to the customer experience is the speed. While the traditional methods such as, such as Interbank Swift may take up two to five days, uh, the leading payment providers now can provide real-time or almost real-time payment. Uh, the second feature is uh, what we call frictionless. The best practice can deploy technology to take advantage to take advantage of the customer onboarding, risk mitigation, and the FX in the background, and make sure it's really easy to do the payment to another country. The third aspect is uh, cross-border payment is now largely payment instrument agnostic, meaning. Customers can use card, bank accounts, wallets even, as they wish for overseas transaction. In short, the transaction, the cross-border payment is becoming as easy as domestic payment, and in turn, this greatly accelerated the digitization of global trade. Great stuff. And how is digital transformation shaping global trade, and what role does it play in streamlining cross-border transactions? Uh, one of the most uh, uh, significant and irreversible trend we see is the shortening of the global supply chain where the traditional middlemen, such as the uh, wholesalers and the corporate buyers, they got bypassed or cut. Uh, uh, as in our sector, the latest trend, for example, in B2B sector, we see increased number of uh, verticalized marketplaces. Uh, they are set up to do wholesale transactions in specific verticals, such as electronic payments, uh, such as electronic components, home furnishing, e-bikes, etc., cetera, uh, with customized service. Uh, for the B2C sector, we see the rise of direct-to-consumer platforms, brands, and marketplaces. They offer direct connections from manufacturers to the consumers. Uh, together with that, uh, we see very fast development of a new generation of service providers for the main frame services such as logistics, data service, payment services, and the other auxiliary services such as advertisement, intellectual property protection, tax compliance, etc. Basically, new new generation of service providers for the new form of uh, digitized commerce. And what upcoming opportunities and advancements do you see in cross-border payments within China, and how is Pingpong preparing to support and lead these changes in the Chinese market? I think what is true for China, but also for uh, broader Asia, we see two major trends of opportunities. First is a continued increasing size in the global supply chain on the Asia side, in China side, and not just in size, but also in quality in terms of a brand premium that, that our customers can charge and the customer services. That is one. The other one is a growing number of uh, digital entrepreneurs who are very active in growing their e-commerce business, gaming business, app creation, and uh, creating new business models. And those two trends actually give us two great opportunities. First is uh, in the transaction assurance. Uh, we make sure that our customers can collect money and uh, make payments worldwide very easily, fast and frictionless, and solve issues with connectivity and uh, do the currency conversion and risk mitigations in the background. Second is uh, business acceleration. As Pingpong set up our branch offices worldwide and build extensive relationships with, with local financial partners and regulators, we'll make sure it's easier and faster for global expansion for our customers. As long as they have great products and great services, they can set scale as fast as uh, multinationals. Uh, this opportunity didn't exist before uh, without digitization. Well, thank you very much for sharing with us. And there's one in the co-founder of Ping Pong Global Solutions. And now we do for this edition of Global Business.